0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Africast. I'm Clinton Matos, and joining me are the usual suspects. We got Brendan Lotts. Hello. We got Robin Lechetti. How's it? How is everybody doing? I know it's been a it's been a rough week. Some of us were overseas. It's been a, it's been a time is a way to describe it.
1: Yeah, I've got like a headache that I I just can't seem to shake. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go to the doctor today because this is getting out of hand now.
0: Yeah, there is. Uh, I think there's something going around. Yeah. Um, I was also sick uh, last week when I wasn't here for the other podcast. So, or two weeks ago at this point. And then you, uh, Robin?
2: Uh yeah. Happy to be back in South Africa. Um, Dubai <laughs> is hellishly hot. How it, hot uh, was it? Forty-five. Over there? Forty-five <laughs> degrees. What? <Celsius>. Yeah. <laughs> On the Sunday, we went to. We were lucky enough to go to uh, the Museum of the Future. Yeah. We wrote a story about that. Um, uh, so we took shuttles to from the hotel. To the museum and uh, that time outside was, uh, yeah, uh, when, it's intense to say the least. Isn't a World Cup being
0: played there later this year or in that sort of geographic region?
2: <laughs> yeah, <are> the, <laughs> they're going to be air conditioning all the stadiums.
0: That's, That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I what saw them outside the stadiums? Yeah, I've seen a picture of those machines they use which um, the air conditioning for the audience. And it just looks like a giant jet turbine that you just aim at people and blow them with air. But I can't imagine, even with that, that looks like a jet engine, that you're <laughs> going to cool down a whole stadium. Yeah. The people in the front might be, you know, pleasantly cool, but there's no way that thing is reaching the back of the stadium.
2: Yeah, I think the only way it works is uh, we have to keep in mind that the economies of scale between South Africa and Qatar are quite different. Yeah, they are yeah. going to a different level.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, they, they'll probably just flood the whole place with like, it'll be like an ice box in there.
0: Hopefully. Well, uh, I'm sure everyone who's going there is a uh, pretty privileged. I'm not really worried uh, about their comfort about, you know, going to an overseas country to watch some football. But anyway, let's get into things today. Um, Robin is going to talk more about that trip later on in the podcast, but he's going to start with something closer to home. Robin, you've been playing a game. How was it?
2: Uh, yeah, The Last of Us Part 1. Uh, we've kind of chronicled it a couple of times. Uh, this is... So... Is it a remake? Is it a remaster? I mean, there already there's already a Last of Us uh, remastered edition. They came out uh, shortly after the original uh, in 2013. So is this a remake? Is it a remaster? For, to my mind, at least, this is a remaster purely for the fact that um, it's essentially a top-two-button kind of rebuild of everything. Um, The only difference here is that essentially the story is the same, which I think is perhaps the only sticking point for people as far as classifying it. Um, But I think that's perhaps uh, for other people to kind of worry about as far as uh, nitpicking kind of those kind of issues. Uh, For me anyway, um, the kind of gaming experience was always going to be good. Um, The Last of Us Part 1 was an exceptional story. Multi Dog really excel at this kind of narrative driven um, games. Uh, we've seen it with the Uncharted series as well. Um, obviously, The Last of Us Part Two was a bit divisive as far as how it was received, but from a, story- a storytelling perspective, it was really intense, very visceral, um, just like its predecessor was. So, as far as storytelling goes, um, it was always going to be hit out the park as far as I was concerned. Um, the real kind of improvements here are in terms of the visual fidelity and some of the kind of uh, little um, enhancements that have been done as far as the AI of NPCs and enemies, as well as just kind of the attention to detail. And it's just a few uh, added elements in terms of the audio and the haptic feedback that's kind of purposely built for the PS5. I should also mention that this is a PS5 exclusive, uh, which is a bit uh, disappointing from my view, um, purely for the fact that um, one, people can't actually get their hands on a console these days, um, and two, that this game, uh, a lot of people that own a PS Four or own PS Five have probably grown up playing this game, different iterations of it. So to kind of limit or restrict their ability to play the game because it's not on a PS Four seems like a bit of a mismove. Especially we consider that there aren't a lot of great uh, exclusive PlayStation games at the moment. I think the only one that we've really highlighted so far, uh, following those ones at the beginning of the year, is God of War Ragnarok. That's really the only thing we have to look, have to look forward to. So. I think probably Naughty Dog and PlayStation have missed a trick here. That said, in terms of visual improvements, it is quite staggering. Um, Obviously, the Last of Us Part 2 really kind of pushed the boundary as far as the franchise is concerned with regards to the visuals. That, however, was a PS4 slash PS4 Pro game. This is a PS5 one, and the improvements are really, really impressive. Um, They're pretty much on par, and in some instances, even better than what we saw with the Uncharted uh, uh, Thief's Legacy uh, remix as well. Yeah. So yeah. as far as the visual is concerned, um, all those kind of elements are really there to amp up the storytelling. So you're seeing a lot more detail in the face, um, things like uh, characters' eyes uh, moving from side to side, or perhaps just like the sweat on their face, uh, uh, or just kind of the tension and, and things that they're able to build up uh, through the improved graphics this is really impressive. Um, the lighting is one thing that you'll pick up immediately Compa- when you compare this title to the previous ones and yeah I think the real issue here is around whether whether you're willing to pay 1,369 Rand for a game that has just essentially been remastered, I understand that a lot of work has gone into it and I appreciate all of that but given the current climate is this something that you can perhaps wait off on I think what? you can Uh, you can wait for the price to potentially drop and then uh, buy it. Uh, That said, uh, I think that um, Horizon uh, Forbidden West is still at its uh, kind of exorbitant price as it was at launch. So the the chances of prices dropping anytime soon are quite slim. I think the best opportunity to probably play this game will be on the PC version, which should be less expensive. Uh, And hopefully um, the people at Naughty Dog or PlayStation kind of... uh, come to their senses and roll out a PS4 version, because I think that potentially can also be less expensive. So, um, this is a great IP, so to give it to as many people as possible, I think, considering all the great work that's been done to improve it in terms of visuals, uh, seems like a, a move that should be should have been made, at least.
0: It should be uh, remembered that The Last of Us remastered, remember this is the remake, not the, the, the old remaster that... Um, robin was talking about that is included with ps plus so if you have a subscription you can play it not for free because you're playing for the you're paying for the subscription but if you you've never played this game you can try it there um it obviously won't look as good or play as good as this but i mean free compared to 1300 rand that's a (laughs) it's a big difference and also you can play that remaster on ps4 so uh, and the other thing uh, i I don't know if you mentioned it robin maybe i missed it. the PlayStation 5 is also being increased in price um, in various countries. So it's like if you can even find it, now it's going to be more expensive and then you need to pay 1,300 rand for a game or overseas, whatever it costs. So it's a massive investment for a game that I feel everybody has already played. Um, Like who is interested in this game in the year 2020? Uh, Too, and who hasn't played it already? I think the only people buying this game are people who've already played it and who already love it, and they think, okay, I'm going to have another replay.
1: It is coming to PC, yeah. I think, I... Day, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robin, That's Robin okay. did mention that he said it might be, um, it might be cheaper over there, but we don't know yet. Um, Sony's pricing for their PC ports has been very weird. Um, I mean, we're speaking of Spider Man as a PlayStation exclusive. Uh, when that came to Steam in certain countries, the price was completely ridiculous and then they adjusted the price to make it more expensive not less expensive so yeah it's uh it's very weird um and I, again i just don't know who is interested in this game who hasn't played it i mean maybe young people who like weren't of the age restriction age when the game came out uh, i'm not sure but you can check out robin's review he has a lot to say about it and I think Robin will agree. I mean, it's still a great game. Uh, they haven't like <laughs> they haven't done so much to it that it's now a bad game. It's still one of the best games ever made, according to a lot of people. So check out Robin's review, and we'll need to see what happens with this game and if it has any success on PC. And um, the next thing we're going to talk about today is also around PC. This is also, funny enough, it's kind of the same idea where they take something that's very beloved, and they're like, oh, here's a new version of it. What I'm talking about isn't a game, but a mouse of all things. So the Logitech G502 is maybe the most popular mouse in the world, at least the most popular gaming mouse. If you look on any uh, e-commerce site or um, buyer's guide or anything like that, the Logitech G502 is almost always on the list. Uh, It's always on the top seller list. And it's just been out for so many years that it has such a firm hold in the market that uh, there's even communities around the g502 um i mentioned this in the review and the new story i wrote which i'll link to at the bottom of the podcast that there's even a subreddit about this specific mouse so what did logic to logitech do they introduced a new one the g502x now i got to review this i got it a bit early before the public release and i also got to be involved in a media roundtable with the people who made this mouse from Logitech. So. I have some insight into this and i i I just want to give you guys some you know like some high level stuff about this again check out my review or uh the news story i wrote and the thing that makes this kind of special to me is that i'm one of the people who own the old g502 i bought it with my own money it wasn't a review unit or anything but i bought it in uh which year was it uh december 2020 and i've been using it ever since and i i really don't have any complaints it's just a great mouse and i see why so many people recommend it now this new mouse that came out um one of the big differentiators is that they are offering both black and white at launch um there isn't a a white version of the old g502 but it has branding of i think an esports team so if you just want just a regular white mouse uh, you're not going to get it unless you get this new one why would you want a white mouse uh, well, I mean, some people have white setups, and I like I unintentionally have a white setup at my home just because the walls were white, and then I got like a white desk, and so I don't know. Sometimes some people just fall into it, and I can test my brother. He's not a gamer or anything, but he loves you know like a white phone. You know, if you get in a car, try get a white car. So okay. it's definitely people who like it. I understand for a mouse, it seems like a bad idea because it will get really grody really fast. Um, it's all
2: about like the aesthetic, right?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Just
2: kind of photographs while everything's clean.
1: of course. Uh, Maybe yeah. I just like uh, cheese puffs too much.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I love the black, like all black setup. Even though I think it's funny, I think black actually over time ends up looking worse than yes, white, just does. because it gets yeah. Thanks. Anyway, anyway. And I, and I'm looking at the the old G502. It has those horrible, like, um, you know, broken down plastic look around the mouse mm. buttons that you just can't hide with a black mouse. So. Yeah i kind of understand it but yeah i i also don't like white whatsapp but anyway um i only had the g502x to review for about a week i have no idea you know in in a year's time how it's gonna look but i guess we'll see so the first thing that's very surprising about this is how light the new one is the new one uh, the version i reviewed is only 89 grams the old version that uh, i had is 121 grams Mm. And what's even funny is that 121 grams, you can even make it heavier because it comes with five 3.6 gram weights. And it's just funny that, to show how old the G502 is that the, uh, you know, what's popular in the mouse space is now so much more towards light mice than heavy mice or um, weight adjustable mice. I don't think I've seen a new mouse with adjustable weights for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think you just get it out of the box, it's very light, and that's it. The, um, The battery version of the G502X, which I didn't review, I think that one with the battery is actually still lighter than the old version without a battery, which is um, really interesting. Uh, So I'm actually a fan of it being lighter. I really do like it. The thing that I really don't like is that on both sides of this new mouse, there is rubber trim. And this is another thing where you have to think about the product that you're making. A mouse, in my opinion, should not have rubber on it. rubber almost always breaks down and looks horrible in a few years maybe logitech has created some super rubber that will not break down but i'm really worried about how this is going to fare in a few years and again i only had it for about a week before i wrote my review so during that time the rubber still looks absolutely pristine but i mean you would hope so and i just want to mention one other thing it has a removable dpi switch now it's not really removable. You can take off the button and put like an end cap that allows you not to push the button, and then um you can also take that off and it attaches with magnets. Now the reason they did that, Logitech told me in the media roundtable, is that users of the old mouse were saying that in the middle of a game when things are getting really hectic, they were hitting that DPI or profile switch button unintentionally. So this yeah, is one of right those. The... Sorry, it's right below the mouse wheel, right? Oh yeah, yeah. it's right there on um, by your thumb and. Another point against both versions of this mouse is that uh, it's right hand only. It's like, (laughs) if you're left handed, sorry, they they just don't cover you. Mm. So I completely understand this. And I actually do like, I'm using the old one right now just for comparison. And that button being there is in the way. I I think I've only hit it like once maybe Mm. in a game that got really hectic, but I completely understand this change. And once you're in a game or once you're doing office work, or once you're doing anything, the G502X it really impresses. I mean, it's a fantastic mouse, and they've just made it better. And the the one thing I do want to mention is that they've got new switches. The switches are so clicky. I think I've mentioned it before with keyboard, with anything um, that has a switch. I like a tactile clicky switch, and these are nice and tactile and clicky. So uh check out my full review of every um, of everything. Something I do want to mention is that the old version of the mouse is still staying on the market, at least in the um, immediate future. So If you're looking for a new mouse, Logitech now has two that are not similar, but one's supposed to be the successor to the other, but the other still does a few things better, in my opinion. So check out my review that has a buys guide and everything like that right at the end. And it's just weird because both of these mice are around the same price, which is nice because they didn't increase it. So I
1: have a very important question.
0: Yes, Brendan. Does the G502X still allow you to side-scroll with the mouse wheel? Yes. Okay. It has a. It does. You, you mean the uh, the tilt? Yeah. Yeah. So you tilt yeah, right it right on. It the It still has the, the tilt and it still has the free wheel function. So if you oh. press a button, it doesn't become clicky anymore. But they now put a rubber coating on the wheel instead of it being pure metal like the oh. old one. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So maybe some people like that because like gives you more grip. Uh. I, again, I'm not a fan of rubber on a mouse, so I prefer the old one. But yes, you can still side scroll, Brendan. So it is you, Brendan. I'm going to keep talking to you. Yeah. Um, you want to tell us about Uber Eats? Yeah.
1: So yesterday, Uber Eats made a rather surprising announcement. Um, they pushed the tweet. Well, they pushed the message out in a tweet at first, uh, and then we were sent a press release. Um, essentially, Uber is uh, suspending deliveries in eleven suburbs within Soweto. Um, so a statement from the company reads, as a company that prioritizes the safety of users on the platform, we have engaged rigorously with delivery people through roundtables and surveys to better understand the realities they face on the ground when it comes to safety. Based on these insights, we therefore had to make the tough decision to put a pause on these areas for delivery service by way of the Uber Eats app. So all of the retailers who are on Uber Eats in these areas, we'll get to the 11 areas now, um, will still be, uh, taking uh, orders through Uber Eats, except they'll now be collect-only. So you are able to place orders, but you will have to collect them. Um, Uber did go on to discuss its safety features for Uber Eats delivery drivers, but it doesn't seem like these are enough. Um, And uh, Charles Kumbo, the head of operations for Uber Eats in sub-Saharan Africa, said, we hope that as safety interventions get introduced in the market, the environment may improve so that deliveries could be reinstated in these areas. Now, I'm not 100% sure what those... um, safety interventions could be. Um, if a place is a dangerous area, it's a dangerous area. So uh, are they talking about like police? More police in the area? Um, not 100% sure. Uh, the 11 areas where uh, deliveries have been suspended are Mdeni South, Mzumlope, uh Zola, Pennyville, uh, Deepcliff Hostel, Dobsonville, Davlin, Pimville, Nortgesig, Dubai Hostel, and Medellins Hospital. Oh, hostel, sorry, not hospital. Hostel. Um, so those who live in areas will no longer have uh, access to deliveries through Uber Eats, but you are still able to place an order and then go and collect it. Um, as uh, Kumbo said, we, it kind of hinges on whether the new safety interventions get introduced into the market uh, to see whether these uh, deliveries will be reinstated or obviously the area becomes safer so that delivery people aren't uh, risking their lives while making deliveries. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of sad news for customers in the area, but good news for drivers who don't have to uh, put themselves at risk. Obviously, that the other side of this is that uh, those delivery drivers will now have to go further afield to go and uh, find work and complete deliveries and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of understand where uber is coming from um this goes into effect from 5th of september so that's monday uh you have until monday to place orders for delivery through uber eats through those 11 uh areas that we mentioned So uh, um, this is
0: just uber eats deliveries yeah uh, did they say anything about uber itself the ride sharing
1: they did not um okay but that's also like i've spoken to a lot of drivers who. They kind of use their discretion. They'll see where the 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 rider is and then they will decide whether they should go. To yeah. Uber. They also don't take cash trips at night. So if you yeah. are trying to take a cash trip at night, just know that like 90% of Uber drivers and well, ride-sharing drivers uh, won't take cash at night.
0: Yeah. I think the thing that they're saying about their hope you know stuff improves i don't think they have any real uh plans to do it themselves i think they're just saying you know we'll we'll come back to this in like a year or yeah. in the future i think i think all that sentence is saying is like uh you know well we want your money um if things get a bit better we'll come back
1: like i'd really like to know what their their safety interventions are like i mean i understand that there's only so much uber can do right Um, however also at the bottom of every uber press release there's a please don't refer to them as driver partners because that implies that they're employees and that would give them certain rights that we don't want to give them Um, they don't actually say that i'm paraphrasing and adding my own spin on it Uh, but they do ask that you don't refer to drivers as partners or employees um, lest they be associated with the company you know the people who keep the app running how dare they be associated with the company. But anyway, um yeah, so fifth September, the eleven areas, we'll have a link to the story below and uh yeah.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh it seems to be a, re- a reality for the company and for South Africa. Uh, but we're gonna get into not more lighthearted, but uh certainly not as worrisome. Now Robin, you're gonna tell us about where you've been for the past uh, week or so and we're gonna talk about some interesting foldables in the market around them. You wanna you wanna introduce us to it, Robin?
2: Yeah, well, I was in Dubai for an HV event, um, but in Berlin, it was uh, IFA uh, 2022. And that event, um, I guess, slowly moved out of the kind of hybrid, uh, partially virtual elements uh, that we have been seeing with tech events over the past two years. And it was, I guess, more in person. Um, The kind of big trend we have seen uh, out of the event, however, is foldable. So... In the lead up to uh, IFA, Asus uh, mentioned that they will be releasing a new device called the Zenbook 17-fold OLED. And true to its word, it did so. Um, So earlier this week, um, they actually had a short little showcase of the device. Excuse me. And they kind of showed off all its different features. They also were able to share local availability and pricing. I say availability, um, they're kind of given it a window of Q4 2022. Um, but they have given the price of a recommended retail price of 69,999
0: <laughs> Rand. So, yes. Sorry. Sorry.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Care, careful there. Careful. Yeah. Uh,
0: and that's, that's the base model. I assume that is priced from.
2: Yeah. It, 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 can, it can definitely go up. It can definitely go up from there. Um, so we kind of mentioned the price here. Um, this is also similar to a device that uh, Lenovo announced and failed to launch uh, two years ago. That was the ThinkPad X1 Fold. And that device was available for pre-order in South Africa, I think, in 2020, uh, December of 2020. That was also 69,999 Rand. But they have, I guess, following ASUS uh, revealed a second generation of ThinkPad X1 Fold. This one has been uh, kind of reworked uh, top to bottom a larger display, uh, better hinge, uh, kind of more features as far as its processing power uh, and connectivity capabilities, as well as being able to be posed in a few different modes. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have any price for that yet. Um, It is being earmarked for South Africa, so we did chat to Lenovo's uh, local representatives and they did say it is coming to South Africa, but they could not confirm price at this time. Um, So... As far as those kind of devices are concerned, um, they're both similarly sized. Um, the Lenovo version is 16 inches. The uh, Asus one, as you can kind it by the name, is 17 inches. Uh, they both uh, can either be folded up uh, to kind of be used, in, I guess, a traditional notebook set up. Also be folded up to be used as a tablet or reader and also be expanded or fully unfolded to create, I guess, a larger monitor or display. Um, those are kind of the, the main modes that they're all touting. They also come with uh, uh, Bluetooth keyboards that you can use to to type if you don't want to use the, the screen to do so. So that's kind of on the, on, on the notebook side of things. We also saw LG and a few other firms uh, unveil new monitors, specifically gaming monitors, that have a folding element to it. So the LG one is called the LG Flex, and you might remember the Flex... Um, from a, a model of a smartphone that LG released oh, yes. a few years ago. Yes. Yeah, that was a really weird phone. <laughs> um, so the, the LG OLED Flex, um, it is a 42 inch bendable screen. Um, and you can, there, I guess there are a few different points of articulation, but you can essentially, there are two presets that will bend the sides of the screen to either a, to, to create a 32 inch or 27 inch uh, display. Uh, but you can also kind of do it more incrementally. Uh, I believe it is in increments of five millimeters, and there are I guess 20 different levels of articulation to that. Um, unfortunately, uh, like a lot of devices that were kind of previewed or unveiled at IFA, we don't know when this when or indeed if this is actually coming to South Africa. But it has been revealed um, that it will be available in the UK in November. So hopefully, um, there are plans to bring this to South Africa down the line because. Um, it looks like this is going to be a big trend moving forward that uh, you have essentially uh, foldable gaming monitors um, that are trying to, I guess, give you the best of both. So it, depending on what title you're playing or what type, what um, what I guess genre of game you're playing, um, you can either have a, a, a standard full-on uh, flat display or you can have one that has more curvature to it on the sides to create a, a quote-unquote more immersive um uh, gaming experience. So, I thought that is perhaps a good dropping off point for us, just to kind of speak about these new foldables, these new really expensive foldables, and whether or not this is just more of a fad, or whether we are starting to see foldables kind of infiltrate or filtered into more of uh, more categories? Uh, can I start,
1: start you? with you
0: guys? Go ahead,
1: Brennan. So, uh, I think that at seventy thousand grand for uh, a notebook that folds, this is fad. Uh, I'm I'm just going to say it. Um, the price of folding tech is just ludicrous. The point of it is, oh, you can have a bigger screen that now has a crease in the middle of it that is weaker, um, like is actually no different to any other sort of smartphone except for the fact that it folds. Um, I, I think this is all just a fad. Like this LG OLED flex sounds cool, but I mean, to me, for with the idea that it's going from flat to curved means that there are moving parts within this monitor, which just gives it more room to fail, more room to uh, to bug out and maybe not work or break the screen entirely. Um, they they didn't mention price. I don't see here on the press release, um, but I can just imagine this is going to be a ridiculous amount of money. And what are you giving up for it? Is it a 4K display? Like, is it, I see it's OLED. Um, at least. I mean, yeah. For, okay. So it's 4K, 120 hertz. So you're not giving up anything in terms of the specs, which is fine. But I mean, it's just like, why would I spend more for this cool little feature? I mean, for me, it's like, I would show this to my friends who came around for a bri and be like, Hey guys, look at my cool monitor. It falls. And they'd be like, Oh, that's cool. And then we carry on with our lives. I don't you know what? Something I just thought buy. of. Yeah.
0: Something I just thought of. I am going to agree with you, and I'll get to my point in a bit um, about why I also think this is kind of dumb. But I was just thinking, a, a big problem with um, foldable mobile devices that you can't have a glass, you know, top layer to kind of protect everything. It always has to be plastic, which scratches really easily. I was just thinking for these, uh, for a screen like a um, a display, uh, the the front being plastic isn't as detrimental. But then thinking about a plastic um, screen on a laptop or a, a big tablet sounds also like it's going to get scratched. Sorry, I just did want to mention that. Um, that's like one tiny benefit of this.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's just, I just don't see the points. Like, in while we, or, while we were preparing for this podcast, I just went and looked. Like, what is the benefit of having a folding screen? And the main benefit is, oh, you have access to a bigger screen so that you can see more things. Okay.
0: Why? You just get a bigger screen. That's not like uh, that's not a feature that you can only get with a foldable. Exactly. I mean like that's why we have
1: TVs. That's why we have large format displays. Why we have projectors. Like I mean I, I don't I understand that the smartphone is the like single point of compute for a lot of people around the world. Yeah. But those people also aren't spending 70,000 rand on a folding laptop. They also aren't spending 40,000 Rand on a folding smartphone. So, like, who is this for? It's for the people at the bleeding edge who already have 80-inch 8K displays in their home. Yeah. You are probably sitting on their on their iPhone and then just airplaying stuff to their TV as it is. Like, oh, I have a folding phone. I can just push your Chromecast it to my to my TV and watch it there instead. Like the idea. I think in my entire life of watching smartphones, I have seen one person sitting on their phone, working on their smartphone. Like in my entire, in the, let's call it since 2010, till now I have seen one person sitting, doing work on their smartphone.
0: Yeah, that's another thing I was uh, really, I, I do want to get your opinion, Robin, but I do just want to gang up here as well. The, the fact that you need to type on the screen, I, I know they said they give you... Um, an optional keyboard a bluetooth one but the fact that you have to type on your screen on a laptop sounds miserable Typing mm. on the screen is one of the worst parts of like modern life and phones have gotten a lot better at making the experience um more palatable but i mean if i'm in a different part of the house and i get an email there's no way in hell i'm gonna sit there on my phone and type out that email it's just such a miserable experience i can do it in like 1 20th of the time on a physical keyboard. Um, Robin, you've you covered this. Yeah. Think, go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, sometimes I think that big tech companies think we're the
1: uh, the human beings from uh, Wally that we just sit in our chairs all day and don't want to move. Like, no, if I want to watch like a movie or something, I'm going to go up to my TV or to my computer and watch it on a bigger display. Anyway, sorry, Robin, let's,
0: yeah. let's hear from you. You've covered this. Do you have anything... Are you excited about this? I was going to say, do you have anything positive to say? Do you do you care about this stuff?
2: Well, I guess I'm excited for the fact that uh, Asus were gracious enough to give us one of the ZenBook 17 folds to review, uh, which we'll share that review probably later this month, probably in a few weeks' time. Uh, I say that because we have another, we have like uh, two other foldables: the um, Huawei Mate XS2, which is a foldable phone, fold, and the Galaxy Z. Flip 4, which is another foldable phone. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm excited from that point standpoint purely because I am interested in technology. I, am, I do like enjoy reviewing stuff, so to be able to get hands on on with products that would otherwise cost me uh, vital organs in order to buy <laughs> um, is really exciting. Um, I yeah. do agree with you guys though on on the whole uh, point around cost. It, it is it is exorbitant. It is uh, almost. Um, salacious as far as how much money you have to Mm. pay to get one of these devices. Um, I am, however, still interested in in the technology. Um, Specifically, and we've kind of spoken about this before, about how you can make devices more compact by using uh, flexible and foldable displays. That, to me, is more interesting. And unfortunately, because the barrier to entry is so high, Um, we aren't going to see that kind of technology filter down into, I guess, the mid-range. I don't think we'll ever see an entry level, but I guess into a more, quote-unquote, affordable price point. It'll take, I reckon, at least another decade before we start seeing that kind of technology filter down. So I'm I'm really interested in technology. I really think it could be used for some really intriguing applications as far as uh, consumer electronics go. But right now, like you guys have mentioned, because the price is so high, is very little for the average person to get excited about because it's simply un- unattainable.
0: The problem I'm also seeing is that technology only becomes cheaper when there's a market for it and that the companies making it can then improve on it. Like um, an under-the-screen fingerprint sensor where, was something that you could only get in the absolute most expensive phones. And the reason that became cheaper Um, You know, looking from the outside in, I'm obviously not an engineer at one of these big companies. The reason it looks like that became cheaper and more available is that people looked at it and they thought, that's a feature I really want. And they expressed that to these um, manufacturers. And because uh, a lot of people were buying the more expensive ones and because there was a market demand for it to become cheaper, it became cheaper. They put in the R&D work to make it more available. But I'm not seeing that same level of enthusiasm for foldable phones. And I think that's going to be a massive barrier. It's not just the cost. It's that the people who are not buying it have no interest in buying it, even if it's a little bit cheaper. So I don't see these companies now reinvesting to, um, to make it cheaper. I, I think right now it just seems to be like a marketing stunt, basically.
2: I think it's going to take the right company. And I think you've mentioned this before, Clinton, that the moment Apple does a foldable phone, then foldable phones are the thing yeah then you, then you so. watch the interest skyrocket so i think it'll take the right company not to say that uh samsung and uh, asus and lenovo are the wrong companies but they uh, apple still has a, a certain cachet as far as being able to influence the market samsung does to a lesser de- to a lesser degree but If we're talking about foldables getting larger and kind of uh, that that technology being used in larger form factor devices, it'll take someone like Apple to make it more appealing to, I guess, the, the more general public.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think also Apple phones are already so expensive that if they say, hey, we're making a foldable phone, it probably won't have such a huge gulf between a normal Apple phone and, you know, this imaginary foldable one. Although... It is Apple. They could say the phone costs a hundred thousand rand, and they'll probably still sell it. So, what Which do I know? Would
2: be, they would be very brave of them. Very it would be cool.
0: very brave of them to, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so many things I can say about so, Apple. But so go ahead, I Brendan. What I want
1: to just mention is that I do think that uh, folding or flexible displays have uses in some places. So, like uh, in automobiles, they might be useful. Um, in like uh, professional. Situations, so like military or like shipping or something like that, something where something where like a delicate glass screen um, that can't bend or move around could be isn't really suited, right? So, like, if for instance, you're in uh, you're trying to make a a center console for a car, um, and you don't want to necessarily have a flat screen, you could use a screen that bends. Uh, because you have the technology to bend the screen now, right? So I think that there yeah. are applications where folding screens do make sense, but I don't think that it's in a consumer sort of product, or at least not yet. I mean, yeah, for me, it's just like, uh, the, the best thing I can think of for a like consumer product is a TV screen that rolls up
0: and rolls back down. I think, was that OG you made? one of those Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: but is that... Is that something they sell to the public though? Because
2: when only they only in Korea, I remember. Yeah, was, they like, they revealed it at the expensive. show,
0: and then it like fell off the face of the earth, and then it was like a weird special order system. I, that thing is probably just so expensive to manufacture that they don't even want to sell it for the you know for pub, uh, publicity. But that would be cool. I mean, uh, right. but again, like a TV, something you're gonna have at home, you can set up one of those like motorized gantries to make a, a tv rise and lower out of yeah. a i'm saying a like if you thing.
1: wanted to have like a pure like minimalist look in your home you could yeah. have like a screen that rolls up into the ceiling and then r- comes out of a slit like yeah and just like <laughs> come you know like i'm just imagining imagining like the the absolute most ridiculous minimalist person like it might make are sense
2: you, are you contest. creating your villain layout
1: yeah. I, I am. I'm create. I'm creating my uh, my
0: evil lair. Brendan is looking for um, abandoned volcanoes to yeah. move into. Uh, if you know any, um. But then again, isn't what you're describing just a projector screen?
1: I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I'm <laughs> describing. But also, like, so I I am of the opinion that all projectors suck. Like, even if it's four, even if it's an eight K with HDR, the problem is you are fighting against the sun during the day. And yeah, And you cannot outshine the sun. I'm sorry, you just cannot. The other problem is that people are projecting onto white walls and thinking, oh, that's going to be fine without doing any color balancing. So you go and watch the rugby at somebody's house and they're projecting. And it's like, what What are you? This is a yellow wall. And you've been in direction. It's just annoying. All right? It's really just annoying. And like we can't even get projector technology right yet.
0: Maybe we should focus on that instead of like folding screens. Yeah. Something I just thought of is like, um, uh, air travel and space travel. Um, those would be cool applications because in both of those environments, space is at an absolute premium. So I could also see in those two places having, um, what's it called? Having fold uh, folding screens or bending screens or whatever yeah. that would really help, um, with keeping space down and stuff like that. Um, yeah, on like the International Space Station. Um, so something I do just want to get back now uh, to is phones, because I think we can all agree that in all the applications in the consumer world, the phone is probably the best application because it gives you the big screen without the bulk in your pocket. And again, your pocket is another place, or your purse or your bag is another place where space is at an absolute premium. And I want to lean on you guys, because I still haven't tried a, a folding phone yet. Um This hasn't happened i'm not really the phone reviewer on the team here um robin mostly is and then brendan also reviews some from time to time i just don't review phones so i haven't used a folding phone yet do either of you think it's something i should really get on maybe not to buy but to try
2: um i think it depends on the device itself so i've been fortunate enough to review most of the galaxy z folds which uh, I guess are the larger form factor of the two foldables that uh, Samsung do. Um, But now I've been able to try out the Z Flip, which is the one that gets more compact. I've also been able to try out the Huawei P50 Pocket, which has a very similar clamshell design as far as getting more compact goes. Um, I think that form factor makes a lot more sense than essentially the folds do, because no matter how much engineering kind of goes into it, it still very much looks like two phones that have been slapped together and have a hinge <laughs> in the middle. I still find the I find the Flip to be a far more appealing device, not just from a price point. It's still very expensive. It's mm. hellishly expensive. But from a price point, and I guess just from a form factor and design perspective, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, also, I don't know what Brendan kind of thinks. Yeah,
1: so I think that the Flip is probably the best way to to implement a folding display because it's actually doing – what everybody says they want with a folding phone, which is it, it gives you a bigger screen in a smaller footprint. So like while the uh, the fold, right, is gives you a much bigger display, it's still the same length in your pocket, right? It's still taking yeah. up your whole pocket like a normal smartphone would. Whereas the flip uh, folds into like a really small square that you will forget that you have. Um, so I think that the flip is probably the best, way to implement a folding screen that having been said, like the, the crease in the middle is incredibly distracting. So I've used the, uh, the original fold and then the, the, the original flip. Um, and both of those had the, the crease in the middle problem, which no matter what you're looking at it, you'll always notice it. The moment you stop thinking about it, you realize it's there. Um, and it's, it's such a, like, it's such a, an esoteric
0: thing to try and describe to you because like i can i can explain it right now if you've ever put on a screen protector and there's been a little hair or a speck of dust underneath the screen you are always going to see that no matter how much you try and ignore it your brain will always say hey there's something wrong here so imagine that speck of dust is like a part One part of, of your screen. <laughs> yeah, and it's a part of the phone. The other thing
1: that I, I've seen a lot of people complain about, and I know that Samsung said that they were going to make this better, but app, apps are not primed for folding phones right now, and which is weird because, I mean, we've been doing this since, like, what, 2019, 2020? Like, the idea that apps aren't ready for this or, or don't adapt to folding displays, I think is, A, a sign that developers aren't, Aren't worried about this market, um, and as such, aren't developing their apps around it. And two, that um, the user experience is just really bad on these phones. I don't know what it's like nowadays because I haven't used one of these folding phones. Maybe you can talk about it, Robin. Like, what's the user experience of these phones like nowadays in terms of app? app
2: yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty poor. I think. Um... <laughs> For whatever reason, I don't know if it's developers or people that are working on the UI at these companies. Um, they are still very much in the... kind of viewing these devices as phones. Uh, and, that, and that sounds weird because you are talking about phones, but I really think that you need to think of these devices like tablets. Yeah. As far as kind of adding um, kind of functionality and being able to multitask because... Fine. Uh, say, for example, the fold. When it's kind of folded up, and it's a regular phone, it's it's it, the experience is fine because you you have that I guess a a amount of screen real estate that you're that uh, these developers are used to kind of dealing with. Mm-hmm. When you unfold it, you have this larger screen real estate, and it just seems like there's a lot of empty or unused space. Yeah. Um, they talk a lot about being able to snap together apps, so much like uh, Windows used to do, you snap together two different apps and you kind of port information from one app to the other. That, to me, is not multitasking. Um, if we're talking about, like, true multitasking, that's not it for me. Um, being able to snap together four apps, for example, or being able to kind of have seen like picture-in-picture picture, or j- just some of the more innovative stuff we saw when uh, Galaxy first started doing the Node stuff, Yeah, that would seem more interesting to me. For, for now, I think they're kind of, I don't know if they're restricted or they perhaps are, are still thinking about these devices as being purely phones, especially the ones that get larger as opposed to getting more compact.
0: Something else I want to mention is VR. So I truly think that VR is more of the future of displays than folding screens are. I really do think that eventually we'll have VR goggles like Google Glass, but actually good. I think we'll be able to have screens that are the size of like normal seeing eyeglasses or sunglasses. I have to wonder if we'll still have phones in the future, but they'll just be like a conduit for a pair of um, VR headsets um, that are like integrated into your glasses. And then, you know, the size of the screen is irrelevant because it takes up your entire um, field of view. Do you guys think that's something companies should rather be looking at instead of all this folding guff? Hmm.
1: So I think given all the talk about the metaverse all these companies keep going on about, um, yeah, but I mean, so I think that have you got any of you guys used a uh, VR on a smartphone? I know it's kind of fallen out of favor in the last few years. Uh, but, yeah, it was like, um, like one of those cardboard, like cardboard or yeah, yeah. Of, like, yeah. Samsung yeah, Gear VR. It. Like it wasn't the best experience, but I mean, it was possible, right? Like there were some really cool things that you could do. Like, um, I remember there was one app a while ago where you could like take a tour through like the Grand Canyon and it it was it was serviceable. It was an experience that you could have on a smartphone for like next to no money. Right. Yeah. And I feel like if we carried on pushing that, maybe the metaverse might have actually might have some chance of actually becoming a reality. But I do think that, yeah, maybe companies should be focusing more on putting more compute power into our our pockets. Um, Simply because of the fact that uh, PCs are becoming more expensive, components are becoming more expensive, um, com- PC components are becoming more power hungry. Like uh, in a few years' time, we might only have smartphones and maybe we should be putting more compute power in them and instead of trying to make folding displays, especially when a lot of the world, especially here on the African continent, don't have a desktop computer or any sort of high power computing. And I know this sounds like me being a geek and, oh, everybody should have like an octa-core processor. But I mean, the way that the world has shifted in terms of like content creation, uh, data science, uh, data parsing, like all of this stuff requires a lot of compute power. And we're still like, oh yeah, just get yourself an NVIDIA A series, man. Okay, but I don't have electricity. So how do I do that? So I think that if maybe like somebody like Samsung and I know that they have their own foundry, I know they make their own silicon. I'm aware of all these facts, but I mean, just for instance, I'm looking at the CPU speed of the Galaxy Z fold, and it's a two point eight gigahertz uh processor at boost. Uh its core is its core speed is two point four gigahertz, and then when it's idling, it's
0: at one point eight. Yep. Which sorry is uh, not bad. I wanna mention this. Yeah. Uh, Robin, I wanna ask you about the whole VR stuff in a second. But why are all these companies making foldable devices not putting high end tech in there? What what is their problem? Space. It's all about, yeah, space. It's all about space. A space. But they they are also using last gen um processes that take up the same space. Maybe again, maybe it's about um, you know, the tech is mature, so we know how it's gonna behave and everything. So but
2: it's I think I, it's I lead times it. as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's, it's, these it's take the, a long time to develop.
1: It's the NASA problem. So you create a uh, uh a satellite. So James Webb satellite is running software right now. That is no, it's legacy software. That is no longer the company that made it no longer exists. Um, But they use it because when they started building it, the company existed and there was support for it. So, I mean, it's by the time these things come out, you've already done a whole bunch of R and D and with a thing like a folding phone, like a lot of the R and D goes into the hinge and the screen. um, And
0: then the computer secondary. It's just that it's another mark against uh, us, the consumer, that you're paying these absolute premium price uh, prices, and you're getting a processor and RAM and the whole compute package that's one or two generations old. It's just it's another thing stopping it from being um, uh, adopted widely. Because again, imagine you pay sixty grand, and you know you're someone who maybe doesn't know a lot about phones and you're just someone you like, you you buy the latest stuff just because that's what you like and you know more power to you. Um, If you are doing that and you're getting a new phone and then this new folding thing is slower and less responsive than your old phone you'll be very confused and you'll you might say i'm, I'm not getting another you know foldable uh, look, phone because the experience was so bad
1: i think at the level that the 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 fold and the flip are at i mean they are still operating in the premium tier so yeah like i remember when i used those phones the cpus and stuff were or the cpu and the the gpu were older or the sock rather was older um but I didn't really notice a slowdown in performance, right? Because oh, when we're talking about like percentage differences here between the 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 S series and then the flip.
0: Yeah. Uh Robin, sorry, to go back to you. Do you think that these companies should be investing in lightweight VR in, um instead of folding screens?
2: Um, I agree with you with you to a point. I think the foldable screens all the folding or flexible screens can be utilized quite interestingly in VR headsets. Uh, but I don't think we'll get to a Google Glass kind of stage, uh, purely for the fact that one, Google Glass um, is, is deemed a failure by most people. But but also, I think uh, you are going to run into issues as far as those devices trying to replace your smartphones, because um, you then run into the issue of lawmakers and regulators wondering about people's attention, where it's going to be focused all the whole time. So... I do agree with you that uh, these flexible displays can potentially be used in more uh, or better VR headsets or more portable uh, VR headsets. But um, yeah, as far as going the fully fledged wearable route, I don't foresee it anytime soon.
0: It's, it's a real shame that the push for like Google Cardboard and Google Glass Came at a time when the tech was much less developed. Yeah. Um, the the resolution and the quality of screens now is so much better than it was back then. And I think Google Class was such a colossal failure that people are just completely turned off of the idea. So it's a real shame that uh, that it happened then. It's just uh, I think Google, you know, it's, they do a lot of bad stuff, but I think they were just a bit too ambitious. Um, and that really came to bite and harm the whole market. But I think there's a lot of companies um, working on wearable tech like that. So maybe in the future it will happen. Um, I just want to wrap up because we are getting on in time here. Um, I want to get some final thoughts. I'll actually start because I, I think I've I've, uh, I've got the least amount to input here because again, I, I haven't had these foldable devices in my hands. Um, I still think it's very exciting. You know, I'm not so uh, cold hearted that uh, I can look past this like true innovation and say, oh, but the, you know the the compute is not as good and it's very expensive and I don't have any interest. It, it's still amazing. If you showed this to us like 15 years ago, it would basically be sci-fi. So people would die. St- people would. Yeah, die I'm with still, dance. I'm still very excited by this in principle. I just I think this is something we're all going to mention now. Is that I don't think. St- um, computer monitors and laptops are the best applications but again maybe we need to experiment maybe these products come out and they are the the new standard right i mean you know we never
1: know yeah i mean there was a time where if you told me oh your your phone is going to be a slate of glass and you'll tap on it i would have laughed at you and said no No, yeah,
0: exactly Plus, and are terrible yeah a lot of people said like the iphone was going to be a failure and then it, re- it like reinvented the world because yeah. it ushered in smartphones so uh, I'm excited by the tech. I just don't think this is a the best route for it. And I just think that improving screen size and reducing weight makes more sense in a VR setup. Um, Robin, what are, what are your closing thoughts about this whole debacle we've had here today?
2: Yeah, so uh, much like yourself, uh, I really am interested in technology, um, especially how it's going to be applied in the future. Um, I guess the only real problem right now is that we're going to have to deal with these really expensive devices that not a lot of people are going to be able to afford. So that brings up an issue or problem as regards whether the market can be big enough. I think, for example, if this technology filters down into the mid-range space, which will take a lot of time, um, then then there's something more interesting there. The problem is now whether or not it's going to actually have the time and whether or not companies are going to stick with the with their development or this kind of, this more experimentation as far as foldable displays goes. So it is an interesting point. It's, it's, it's simply whether or not companies are willing to kind of take the risk as far as getting that technology to filter down into other kind of uh, devices as opposed to just these really expensive flagship ones. Mm.
0: Yeah. And you, Brandon?
1: So I... I know that I said that I like the flip and I think that it's the best use case for a smartphone a folding phone, a folding smartphone rather. Um, but I don't think that people who want smartphones want a smaller device. And the reason I say this is that between 2012 to like 2016, there was a, there was a term that was being used for large format phones that has all but disappeared. That term is phablet <laughs> and that, that has disappeared because nowadays most of the phones that we have are pretty much phablets. Um, And like that is filtering down right down to budget phones, where budget phones have displays that are 6.5 inches and up. Um, And like 10 years ago, we would have called that a phablet, but phablets have disappeared because the market demanded larger larger format uh, displays, right? And while there were some that were ridiculous, like... I think there was, at one point, there was like a 10-inch smartphone, I want to say. But eventually, everybody kind of settled around the 6.5 to like 7-inch, maybe 8-inch size. And I think that's kind of where people have found some sort of comfort in smartphones or feel more comfortable using smartphones. And this idea that people want more space to do more tasks, to do work, is something that comes straight out of the marketing team at uh, these companies because, yeah. like I said, who is actually sitting on their phone, um, using their phone to work, aside from people who maybe don't have a laptop? Sure, but those people are also not spending forty grand on a smartphone. So, like, I understand where Robin comes from—that like this. Hopefully, that's this technology filters down. But I mean, we've now been having this is what the third generation of Samsung's folding tech. And prices are still exorbitant. They're not coming down. Um, like everything is just getting more expensive. Uh, I, I kind of, I call, I call BS on the claim that uh, the this will eventually filter down to cheaper technology. I just don't think it will. Um, and I'm happy to be proven wrong, but right now I think this is all just really great marketing. Um, and in 10 years time in 2032, i uh, I'll just throw back, hopefully I won't still be on this <laughs> podcast, but uh, I'll throw back and go, oh, hey, remember that time we thought fold, folding phones were going to be great?
0: Yeah. Cool. I mean, like you said, the phablet was kind of invented by Samsung with the Note series. Uh-huh. And when the Note series came out, people dismissed it. They're like, this is ridiculous. It's so big. Look at the goofy ass thing with the uh the, the stylus. And then the Note became the norm. And now the Note has kind of been absorbed into the overall Galaxy, it's product up from samsung because that isn't considered a big phone anymore so i mean it's another example of people saying you know naysaying like we naysaying about these folding devices and then it became the norm so i guess you never really know and yeah. that's the that's the kind of overall but
1: that's what's exciting message. about tech that's what's exciting yeah. about
0: this all is that we
1: don't know and we are living through some of the most exciting times of our of our humanity's history
0: Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's the modern times. It's it's the it's the latest it's ever gonna be. Hey but we've <laughs> it on a positive note, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and that we're gonna we're gonna quit while we're ahead. Bye everybody. Uh for myself, for Brendan, Cheerio, for Robin. Okay everyone. For everybody else at Hypertext, goodbye everybody. We'll see you next week.